Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm your host, Rita Peters, along with my co-host, Mark Meckler. He's the Convention of States president, and I just love having Mark as my co-host for the show. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing great, and I love being here with you as well. I mean, it's really nice to do something other than straight-up politics all day long, so I love doing Crossroads with you. Yeah, it's really fun. Well, for our listeners, today is the second in our 10-week series of programs on servant leadership. And Mark, I want to say a few words today about why this material is relevant to our program, Crossroads, Where Faith and Culture Meet. And the fact is, if we as Christians want to impact our culture We have to understand how to be effective influencers to the people and the world around us. And that's really what this is all about, right? Yeah, it is. And we talked a little bit last week about what it means to be a servant leader and the idea of helping people to get from here to there, you know, whatever the there is for them, helping them to identify their goals and and make that track and find their path. And that kind of leadership is desperately needed in modern society. It's needed in our personal lives. It's needed, you know, in our families. If you're leading a family, it's needed in your workplace. It's needed in your church. So this is a skill set based in faith that's going to help you be a more effective disciple. Absolutely. Well, as a reminder to everyone tuning in today, we're walking through the book, Servant Leadership, by David Kuhnert, that's K-U-H-N-E-R-T. We are using the first edition of this book as our guide, but if you'd like to have your own copy of the book, you can purchase the second edition of it on Amazon. And back with us today, folks, to help us walk through chapter two of Servant Leadership is Chris Thomas, who is a mentor and coach on this whole topic. Chris, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Rita. You can actually even buy the first edition as well. You can go to the self-publishing house where it's published, authorhouse.com, I think it is, or maybe it's authorhouse.org. But if you just search Authorhouse Servant Leadership David Kunert on Google, you'll find that. Or even you could find the first edition on Amazon. You just got to make sure you buy the edition with the black cover, not the blue cover. Um, But I'm so glad to be back with you guys. It was great talking with you last week, and I can't wait to our discussion today. And on the topic of buying the book, I would encourage you, if you have any interest in this topic at all, to pick up a copy of the book. It is extremely easy to read and practical. It's not it's not dense. It's not you know, doesn't use a bunch of hard language. It's pretty short. The chapters are short and it's just really practical and easy to read. So pick up a copy. So uh, chapter two is about goal setting and the two there's. If you weren't with us last week, the way we determine a there is that there is basically a goal. And 
The author Dave Kuhnert references Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So this chapter introduces the concept of what we call SMART goals. Uh, and this is a specific way to lay out your goals. SMART is an acronym. So Chris, why don't you tell us about SMART goals? Well, before I get in that, I, I love that Psalm. And one of the stories I love to tell in our, um, or that proverb, sorry, I love that Proverbs uh, that he starts this um, chapter out with. And one of the stories I like to tell to our classes when, when I teach it is about when I was a college ministry director years and years and years ago with a mentor of mine that is also actually a mentor of Mark's, uh, Carlo Walth. And we would occasionally go to a larger worship service every week that a huge college ministry in town would throw probably um, uh, every once in a while, once a quarter or twice a year or something like that. And we'd go to join it just to give our kids something more energetic to be a part of. And one time we went and the pastor got up and said, you know, I didn't prepare anything this week because I really wanted the spirit to speak through me. And that irked me really badly because I know that if I get up unprepared, far more of Chris is likely to come through because I haven't spent the time in diligent seeking of God's truth and God's word and his spirit to work in me. And so I know that if I get up and I just speak extemporaneously, it's going to be more likely to come from me and I'm going to make mistakes than if I diligently plan and let the Lord work on my heart. And I think God wants us to diligently seek him in everything we do. So SMART goals are a way of us really um, being diligent about the aspects of our life. There's so much that we do that is just super unintentional. And if we can learn to use SMART goals in our everyday life, and we can be much more intentional about what we do, therefore more diligent about what we do. And we can learn to even um, make our goals even more specific. So SMART stands for specific, measurable, achievable. And the R, some people out there may have heard it as relevant. Um, the way that David talks about it in servant leadership is results oriented. Now that's language that comes out of the army's use of SMART goals is from my understanding of it as I've done a little research there, but it essentially means the same thing. The results are intended to be relevant to the mission you're trying to accomplish, the overarching transcendent there, or a, a bigger goal that you're serving with a smaller SMART goal. And so that uh, that R means, is it is it going to produce results towards that end or is it going to be irrelevant to what we're doing? And then T is time bound. So making sure that there's a there is actually a, um, a time frame that you want to get the goal done in. Uh, so those those five things is what SMART stands for. And, and I think that they've been incredibly helpful to our grassroots as people have learned them. <laughs> So SMART goals, just to review, that's S, specific, M, measurable, A, acceptable or achievable, R, results-oriented, and T, time-bound. So that sounds great, Chris, but it's still super abstract. Maybe you could walk us through an example so we can get a good feel for what that actually looks like. Yeah, so I might decide that I want to create a SMART goal to improve my fitness. And I might say that I want to uh, get eight hours of sleep a night uh, and, and discipline myself to go to bed at a certain time and wake up at a certain time every single day. And I'm going to do it for 30 days to try to create a habit uh, out of it. So my specific is I want to get uh, into a habit of sleeping eight hours from X time to Z time every single day for 30 days. 
um, measurable. Yeah, I can actually keep a journal and I can write down what time I fall asleep what, or what time I lay down to go to bed. I have a smart, I have a sleep tracker on my smartwatch. And so I, I usually wear that to bed and I can uh, track <laughs> my sleep. And so I can measure whether or not I got eight hours of sleep that night. And I can set an alarm to wake up at the time that I'm trying to wake up at. And I can see my progress as I track that in a journal throughout the 30 days. So it's measurable. Is it achievable? Yeah, I think it's achievable to be able to sleep eight hours a night, hopefully. Um, maybe Mark and you and Rita, maybe it's a little harder because the two of you are crazy busy and your schedules are insane. I, I can't even imagine uh, what your sleep schedules look like, but uh, it has been actually a goal of mine to try to get better disciplined sleep. And then uh, results oriented, it, it serves a, a, the bigger goal that I want to be healthier, that I, I want to have a lifestyle that's more imbalanced, that I am um, treating all aspects of my life in a healthy way. Is it time bound? Yeah, 30 days. I'm, I'm trying to do it for 30 days with the goal of a longer goal of it being a habit that sticks with me after that, right? So that would be an example of how you would set a SMART goal uh, that would that would uh, allow you to then diligently seek after it. Mm, I see. And um, before we move on from this, because I think this concept is super important, but it actually takes a lot of thought, I think, to make sure that a goal you're setting is a SMART goal. What would be, can you give an example of a goal that's not a SMART goal for because it fails to meet one of those criterion? And What's the problem with setting a goal that doesn't meet those criteria? So I do this exercise with our classes, every class that I teach with servant leadership and convention of states. And I ask people to come prepared, willing to share their SMART goal for convention of states. And we often have what we call a district captain, uh, which is kind of our broadest level of leadership um, within convention of states. They're the people that that lead teams within their congressional district, within their um, their state. And they are oftentimes very new when they join and get encouraged to come and join a, a servant leadership class. And so they oftentimes come and their SMART goal is build my team. <laughs> and the problem with that is that it, it's, it's not specific, right? They're, it's not a specific goal. They might even say, I want to, they might even get more specific and they might say, I want to build a team of 10 in the next two months, right? But, but Mark, you know, help me think through this a little bit um, with that. What, what do you think is missing in the specificity of build my team of 10 in the next two months? Um, what, what could they be more specific on? Yeah, I mean, I, so there's a lot of stuff in there. I don't know what they mean by build my team. Yeah. Right. So specifically, what are they looking for on their team? Are they looking for volunteers? Or are they looking for people who will help them with communication, people who go to the legislature? So they could be a lot more specific about what their team means and also what it means to build my team. In other words, does that mean have people sign a petition? Does it mean have people come to a meeting with them or agree to a certain set of activities? It just really lacks specificity at the end. The question would be, have you built your team? And they won't really be sure because they don't really know what it what the team is. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And it, Mark pointed out uh, quite a few things that were wrong with that goal, that it's not specific about what building my team is. So you don't even actually know how to measure your goal then um, at the end of it. Right. And then you're also um, missing probably about 10 or 15 specific steps that you should do before you try to quote unquote build your team of 10 
And oftentimes I say, okay, well, what is it going to take to recruit? Let's say that their goal actually is to recruit 10 people to be active on their district team. And that's what they mean by build their team. Well, what is it going to take for you to recruit 10 people from your district? Do you know the numbers? Do you know how many people that you need to call to get to show up to a live event to get face-to-face time with? And how many people you need to have in a face-to-face meeting before you can get one person to commit to volunteering? Is it 100 people or is it 1,000 people? How many people do you need to call to invite? And then how many people do you need to get to this event? So a step that you need to go back even more specific to serve that bigger goal is I need to find out from other more experienced district captains in my state and in my region maybe, what are the numbers there? How many people do I need to call? Now you need to... Now you have something a little bit more concrete to work with to figure out whether or not this goal is actually achievable. Because if, if it takes you a thousand phone calls to get you know, 50 people to show up to a local library and hear about Convention of States, and then one of those 50 people signed up, then you're not building a team of 10 in two months. That's impossible because you're not going to call, I mean, do the multiplication, right? I'm, you're not gonna call 10,000 people in two months to get that. So you have to know what the most effective tools are going to be and what it's going to cost you in your time and your effort to reach that goal to even determine whether it's achievable. So by skipping all the lead up steps to the goal, you're not only not being specific enough, you can't even determine if it's achievable and then you can't, you can't measure it. Um, You can't realize if the time set that you've given to it is realistic or not. Uh, maybe maybe you need to stretch it out to having a, a six months or seven months or eight months to do that because as you build more people on your team, you multiply your ability to make phone calls and make those connections. And so you need to maybe stretch your goal longer so that you can make it actually achievable. You need to give yourself a bigger time frame. So that's where a smart goal wouldn't really be smart is when you haven't thought through all those specific steps and what would and be very specific about what your goal is so that you can determine how you're going to measure it so that you can determine whether it's um, achievable and what time frame you need for it to actually be achievable. Hmm. That's really helpful. That um, fleshes that fleshes it out a good bit. Mark and Chris, I want to throw this question out to both of you because you are both leaders with a ton of experience in leading and managing other people and entire teams of people. In your experience, what are some of the most common reasons people fail to meet their goals? And you know, does it have to do with that the goal they set is not a smart goal to begin with, or is it just they fail to follow through? What are some of the most common reasons people don't meet their goals? Mark, I'll have you go first on this one. Yeah, I would say the most common is that it's not a smart goal. And so you get people that set very non-specific goals, uh, you know, to be super general about it. Somebody says, I just, I want to be way better at my job. <laughs> you know, what does that mean to be better at your job? Other particular skills you need by when are you going to be better at your job is this something you can actually do so that sort of fails in all regards people do this in their personal lives too i see this all the time in regard to fitness people say you know i want to lose weight how much weight by when you know can you really lose that much weight by that time so i think the failure to set it out as a smart goal is one thing i would say a second thing and this is not necessarily whether it's a smart goal or not but it's do you announce your goal to other people? Are, are you accountable to somebody else? 
because I think some people can do them on their own. And, and over time, if you get really good at this, I think you can. But telling, for example, your spouse and your kids and your friends, look, I'm going to lose 50 pounds by Christmas. That makes you much more accountable to other people. And specifically, if you say to them, please hold me accountable. If you see me doing things that don't seem to fit that goal, let me know. So I would say accountability partners and the idea that you put it out there, setting a goal literally, frankly, is just a dream until you take action and until you share it with other people, because that's what really puts you on the spot to get it done, in my opinion. Hmm, that's good. Good insight. Chris, how about you and your experience? What are some of the common reasons people fail to meet their goals? Well, I, I want to jump off of something Mark said, because actually David talks about one of the aspects Mark said in the book. He says research shows that if we make a goal in our minds, we only have about a 20% chance of accomplishing it. If we yeah. have, if we take the time to actually just write our goals down, our chance of accomplishing the goal goes up approximately 42%. If we write uh -huh. it down and then share it with somebody, we have a 62% chance of actually doing it. However, if we write it down and then share it with somebody and then have them intentionally invite them to check back in, that's the accountability part Mark talked about, it goes up to 60 or 76% chance that you would accomplish that goal. So totally, most people, first of all, aren't intentional enough about their lives. They go through life very unintentional. I'm one of the biggest guilty parties of this. And uh, so setting goals is a way of being intentional about your life, but then being even more intentional about your goal to write it down, to share it with somebody, inviting accountability is, is a huge thing. But I would say uh, one of the biggest things I think people um, make a mistake on is that they, they don't understand the achievable aspect. I think all of us think we're superhuman and I'm, I'm a chief um, violator of the fact that I'm, I'm not a superhuman. I, I have been learning, I've been on a journey for the last few years of learning to live into my limitations better and understand that I'm a limited creature and I can't do everything. And I can't just brute force everything to work because at some point or another, some aspect of my life is going to fall apart. When I brute force all of my goals at work to make sure that I can do everything that really wasn't achievable in the first place, then what I do, I neglect my wife and my family and my health and my <clears throat> spiritual life and, and all of that falls apart. Right. And so there's only so much we can do. So we have to be very, very intentional about it. And we have to set goals that are really achievable. I read a book. Uh, actually, our whole mentoring team read a book recently that we, we loved and I highly recommend. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And we recommended it to a lot of the other staff. And so a lot of our Convention of State staff are actually reading the book now. But one of the things he talks about in it is making very small goals that stack onto habits that you already have, even bad habits that you already have. You want to quit smoking and you would rather walk for, you know, half an hour every day instead of take your smoke break. Well, instead of making that your goal, quitting smoking <clears throat> and, and taking a walk for half hour a day, make it so that you put your walking shoes on when you have a craving to smoke. Just the first step towards taking a walk. It's not necessarily that you do this huge goal of taking a walk. You're just taking that first little step, that entry uh, that has almost no barrier. And then you begin a new craving, uh, a new cue that comes out of that putting your shoes on. You know, I've, I put my shoes on now. He tells the story in the book. There was a guy that wanted to exercise every day, but he knew he couldn't get himself up to go to the gym to exercise every day for half an hour or whatever. So he decided he was going to put on his gym clothes, drive to the gym, walk in the doors, turn around, walk back out. And he did it for about a month. And then he finally, at about 30 days, he walked in and said, I've been doing this every day for 30 days. I'm here. I might as well just work out. And he had created a whole new habit. 
just by creating a no barrier to entry, um, you know, a goal for himself. And so that, that idea of creating small, very achievable goals is so powerful because they can get you on the road to the bigger goal that you want to. You just got to realize that it takes smaller steps to get there. So I think that's probably the biggest mistake most people make. Mm. So last week we talked about the difference between regular goals where we apply our SMART goals and transcendent goals. And Kuhner talks about in the book that really you can't have a SMART goal set up on a transcendent goal. Can you explain why that is? Yeah, because that that transcendent goal is that North Star, it is going to be the thing that you test all of your goals that are SMART goals against. So there are a lot of good things in this world. But if I say yes to everything, I'm not living into that limited nature that I have, right? And I'm not going to actually be able to do everything well. So that transcendent goal helps me to realize, is this actually something that heads me in that direction of my North Star? And if it isn't, if it's something that it's not in my value system and it isn't a part of my priorities, isn't, isn't a part of that transcendent there, then I need to say no to it. I need to not do it. So you can't really have a SMART goal set up with the transcendent there because the transcendent there is never complete. And a SMART goal should always be completable. It always should be able that you can wrap it up and you're done and it's it's finished, right? So that's why, for example, my sleeping example that I gave, uh, it's I want to do this very rigidly and keep a journal for 30 days. Am I going to keep doing that after that? No, not necessarily. Do I hope to keep sleeping for eight hours a night after those 30 days? Yes, because I want it to be a habit at that point, right? Um, and maybe I need to set a new SMART goal after that uh, if, it, if I don't feel like it is a habit. But it's, it's going to be completed. That goal itself is going to be completed at the end of 30 days. And I'm going to be able to look back and measure, did I do this or not? Uh, so a transcendent goal just can't be measured like like that because of its nature of being that North Star, that guiding star, that directional goal that helps you to go in the same direction your whole life. That makes sense. Now, Chris, the chapter goes on to talk about the two theirs. And last week in chapter one, we were introduced to the whole concept of the there here path, how to get there from wherever my here is. And now we're hearing about the two theirs. What are the two theirs? There, 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 there. <laughs> it could get really lot. confusing, right? Yeah. And we actually have recognized this as a part of our teaching of this to our grassroots is this can get confusing to people. So we've begun to change the language of this from the two theirs to uh, talking about a we-centered focus or a me-centered focus. And that's really what it's about. A lot of people get stuck on the actions that are described often when David is talking about the two theirs. He's, but he's really actually describing motivations. And so I like to talk about it like this. You might have two people who donate a lot of money to a lot of charities in their local town. But one of them does it because they like their name to be in the newspaper. They like to have their names on plaques everywhere. And they like to have the tax write-offs. Right. There's a me centered focus in what they're doing. And that's what David calls a me there um, because their motivation is all about themselves. The other person who gives, they don't care what accolades they get. They don't care what comes back to them. They give purely out of a generosity and wanting to see the various charities in their town grow and have what they need to be able to help people. And that's a we centered focus. That's a that is a we there is what David would call that. And so the motivation there is that the all of us benefit out of this activity, not just me, right? And they're, they're not going to be rejecting of accolades. Like if somebody wants to put their name in a paper, that person's not going to be, be conscientious of it because they're 
their purpose is for the whole. They're not they're not trying to be fakely uh, hum humble. They're 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 trying to genuinely help other people. So it's about the motive there. And you can have the opposite happen, right? So if you have a volunteer working with you in your church, or if you have a volunteer working with you in an organization like Convention of States, and and you have two different volunteers and both of them quit. Well, one of them could quit because they've made a bunch of suggestions that just aren't in line with the mission of whatever you guys are doing, and they're not getting their way, so they're being selfish, and they're quitting out of a me-centered focus, a me there. Or the other person who quit quits because they are having some health issues, and they feel like they're not doing the job that they've signed up for very well, and they feel like they're holding the team back, and they're, they're holding up a spot. And so why pretend like I'm actually doing something for this team? I know I can't. And so if I relinquish my role, somebody else can be recruited to fill it who could probably do it better than me. And that's a we-centered focus. That's a we there because their heart is for the team, not just for themselves. So the, the actions themselves mean nothing because they can be identical, but have two different focuses, two different motivations behind them. And what a servant leadership um, role needs to always be as somebody who's serving the we all the time, which is really important when we go back to that definition of servant leadership. The servant leadership uh, definition David gives us is that we are influencing people to get there. Well, if we're influencing people to get there, that's a self-centered, self-serving, self-focused there, is that servant leadership? No. Um, inherent to servant leadership is a we-centered focus, that that there is serving the very person that you're leading and serving others by leading them to that point. And maybe you get served as well, but that's not the center of the focus. It's the, it's the team, it's the whole that is benefiting out of this. So it's so important understanding these two motivations, the, the we there and the me there, or what we like to say, the we-centered focus or the me-centered focus. Um, for evaluating, am I doing this out of a heart of servant leadership or am I doing this out of some other kind of heart? Yeah, I think this is not easy to be honest with you is that we're, we always have to be self-reflective and that's a very hard thing for human beings to do. Am I being me or am I being we focused? Sometimes I think that's hard to look at yourself and, and understand that. So I, I also think bringing in your friends and your family and asking them that question, I feel like I should do this thing. Am I being me or we focused is helpful. Now, in the book, Kuhner quotes Galatians 5, 16 through 26 to illustrate the point. Can you flesh that out for us a little bit? Yeah, Galatians is talking about walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit, which is, it is essentially exactly what we just talked about, right? Paul says that our example for how we are to do everything is Christ. And Christ lived his life with that we focus. He never did anything with a me focus. In fact, the one time that we even see him even remotely um, kind of acknowledge a me-centered focus is when he falls in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But he immediately surrenders in a we-centered focus. He says, but not my will, your will be done, right? And so Paul, when he's talking about walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit in Galatians chapter 5, He's essentially pouring out for us what what the fruits of somebody who lives a life that's we centered versus me centered or or other centered even as as he talks about it in Philippians and so he talks about the fruit of the spirit um, he talks about the fruits of the the flesh uh, that they're they're evident so when you see these fruits in people you can tell where they're operating out of because the that kind of spirit that you have whether it's a self centered spirit or an other centered spirit will always produce fruit in its kind. 
Uh, so if you see in somebody love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, you know, that whole list, uh, self-control, what's another word for self-control, Mark? Um, maybe our organization might be named after it. Yeah, self-governance. Self-governance, right? A very biblical, very, very uh, godly um, principle. There's no law against these things, he says, right? If you see those things in somebody, then you can be guaranteed they're they're working out of a selfless or an others-centered or a we-centered focus, not a self-centered focus. So I think that's kind of where why he brings in Galatians and why he connects it into that particular topic is to bring up that motive, that motive aspect of it, that it's about your heart. And Mark, I, I also want to key in on, on something else that you said there too with that, um, that focus. Uh, and now my brain is totally poofing that thought away. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I was talking about it's difficult to look at yourself. Oh, and- yes. Yes. Okay, good. So uh, I'm going to take that from the top so you can cut out. Yep. So Mark, uh, I also want to tie into something else that you actually said. You you made a comment about it's very difficult to be self-reflective. This is actually something that David acknowledges in every single chapter of the book. And he does it subtly, but it's so powerful. And I, I try to bring people to be aware of it because what we find in our classes is, and, and I find it in me, when I read this book for the first like four times, it was very easy for me to take these principles and immediately start applying to everybody else in my life, <laughs> right? Yeah. That person over there is in the victim yep. circle. That person over there is, is you know, not being uh, in the freedom V. Like I'm starting to take all these principles. You guys don't know what those mean yet. You will at the end of this 10 weeks. Um, but I'm starting to apply it to everybody else around me. The reality is, is David in every chapter tells you that this principle is first and foremost applied in your own heart. It's first and mm-hmm. foremost applied to you because you have no control over anybody else. You have to only exert the control you have over yourself by being self-reflective and making sure you're intentional about these aspects. So we remind that to our grassroots too, is that these are principles that you don't enforce on other people, although they are good management principles. And once you've gotten them down in your own life, you can begin to practice them with other people in healthy ways. But the first place you apply them as you're learning them is to your own life and constantly in self-evaluation. So very good catch, Mark. I appreciate that. Guys, there is so much more we could say about this chapter. I can't believe it, but we are about out of time already. I just want to kind of wrap it up with this thought today. We've really talked about um, what puts the servant in servant leadership. It's about having goals that are focused on the good of the group, the good of others, instead of just what's good or pleasurable or easy for me. And I just can't help but think our country, our world would look very differently if we had a bunch of servant leaders impacting our culture. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I I would say right now in our society, we live in a culture that promotes the exact opposite. It's, It's a form of hedonism, right? It's what, what should I buy right now that will please me? What will make me look better? What will elevate me? What will give me momentary fame on the internet? instead of looking around you and saying, what can I do to elevate others? How can I serve others? How can I serve my family? How can I serve my church or my community, my kids' school? And so it is a completely different focus and we're not elevating those ideas of serving others in our society very well right now. But I'm very hopeful because it's not difficult to do if you just change your orientation about what it actually means to be a leader. Mm, Absolutely. 
Well, that's going to have to be the last word. Chris, Thomas, thanks for being with us again, and we'll have you back again next week for part three. I want to thank our generous sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our good friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren. Thank you all for listening, and if you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, 22803. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler, Chris Thomas today, and engineer Robbie Meadows inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.